episode of Riding the 3x3. I ride solo, Russ Heltman, on a full NBA Finals preview show. What happens when the Bucks have the ball? What happens when the Suns have the ball? And what is my ultimate Finals prediction, games, and winner? Stay tuned for all that coming up on the latest episode of Riding the 3x3. And then we close with UFC 264 this weekend. Uh, going down in Vegas. Cannot wait to see whether or not Conor McGregor can get off the mat and revitalize his career after falling to 1-2 and two since 2016. Winner of this one between him and Dustin Poirier in Vegas will get the chance to face Charles Oliveira in the lightweight title fight. All that coming up on Riding the 3x3. Catch us on Apple, Spotify, Google, wherever you get your podcast streaming on my Twitter and Facebook, at RussHeltman11 on Twitter. You can look up at Matt Heltman on Facebook. Let's get into lane number one. We're live here on Twitter, Facebook, all that good stuff. We're riding the 3x3 Tuesday solo edition, a very special Tuesday solo edition. It's the best time of the year. We wait all 12 months for it and had to wait a little longer due to the pandemic and 2020, the 2021 NBA Finals. Finally here, people, we have a uh, pair of fan bases that will finally get the sweet, sweet taste of that Larry O.B., for in the Phoenix Suns case, the first time in their franchise history as they've never been to and won an NBA Finals before. I've only lost uh, back in the early 90s, most recent time they went there with the Charles Barkley-led Phoenix Suns. And then been since 1971, 50 years to the season when the Kareem Abdul-Jabbar-led Milwaukee Bucks captured that city's first NBA title. There is a lot of great stuff to talk about with this series. I'm going to break it down in every which way possible before we get into a UFC 264 preview, the trilogy between Conor McGregor and Dustin Poirier. wanted to tackle this one myself because I don't think uh, my guy Pat is as into the UFC as I am. But going to be a massive, really entertaining night from Vegas. You got Conor McGregor. Is this his last stand? One and two since returning to the UFC and most recently ate those leg kicks, those calf kicks from Dustin Poirier in route to a TKO loss against his uh, one of his most hated rivals across the entirety of his UFC career. Beat him in 2014, lost most recently in January, now completing the trilogy in the lightweight division. A very important trilogy fight at that because the winner of this one will most likely go on to face Charles Oliveira for the ultimate UFC lightweight title belt. So a lot of great stuff going on this week in the world of sports. Once again, Russ Elfman, your host here on Riding the 3x3. And let's get into this NBA Finals preview between the Milwaukee Bucks and the Phoenix Suns. Seven-game bout, obviously, with the Suns uh, getting the first two games at home and the all-important game seven at home at Talking Stick Arena there in Phoenix, Arizona. They're five-and-a-half-point favorites in game one. I fully expect them to win game one. I expect them to cover in game one. Uh, Opening game favorites in the NBA Finals over the past 15 seasons. Pretty good. Pretty good. People, they uh, have done the job, to say the least. Over the past 15 seasons, they're 14-1 outright favorites in game one are, and 13-2 against the spread. This playoffs, the Suns are undefeated against the spread uh, in their opening games of each series so far, 3-0 against the spread, and obviously, 3-0 outright. So 
I expect the Suns to get the job done. They've had the most rest. They've had the biggest ability to game plan for the series in opening uh, in the opening game. But overall, zooming out on the entire series at large, starting when the Bucks have the ball, obviously the most important storyline there is Giannis Antetokounmpo, the man who became the only human being in NBA playoff history to record 400-plus points. Uh, I think it was 150-plus rebounds and over 75 assists in his first 15 games. Uh, except there's a little wrinkle in there, people. He only played 14. So that's how dominant Giannis Antetokounmpo has been. He's been a walking 30-point, 12-rebound, 5.5 to 6-assist machine throughout all 14 games he's played in these playoffs, unfortunately, up until that nasty hyperextension he suffered in Game 4. Bucks rebound, though. They go on and win both games after that. Chris Middleton is lights out. He has a monstrous quarter in game five to lift them in that one. A monstrous third quarter, 23 points, a career high for a scoring frame in a quarter by Chris Middleton in game six to lift them above the hobbled Trey Young and Atlanta Hawks. So when the Bucs have the ball, assuming Giannis can get back out there for game two or three, because that's my biggest thing here, people, is Giannis Antetokounmpo does not need to be on the floor for this Bucs team if he is not at least 85%. 90%, 100%, knock on wood, that would be beautiful. If this is a James Harden situation, like we saw in the uh, the series the Bucks uh, came out on top in in seven games, where he's just a jump shooter, decoy type of guy, Sherry's bringing the ball up the floor, but he's not doing anything on the interior, he's not playing the normal level of game that James Harden plays, or in this case, Giannis Antetokounmpo can play, when you think about how deadly he is, and his biggest strength being that monstrous ability in the open court, that ability to get to that Euro step right inside the three-point line, one, two steps, boom, you're at the rack, one, two steps on the outside uh, of the baseline of the three-pointer, you get a pass on the on the baseline, boom, that's a dunk. So he has to have almost all of his athletic ability, almost all of his physical ability to give them a positive effect, in my opinion, on that end of the floor. Can he be out there in a less than full capacity? I don't think so. I, I would prefer, if I were a Bucks fan, to see Bud lean more into the Drew Holiday, Chris Middleton pick and roll that lifted them above the Atlanta Hawks, and they went 2-0 against them once they actually jumped into that game plan. Use the size advantage that they have against this Phoenix Suns team. When you think about a six foot three Drew Holiday, a six foot eight Chris Middleton at shooting guard, you got Brooke Lopez down low, Bobby Portis down low. There's just a lot of different size advantages that the Milwaukee Bucks not only used against the Hawks, but they need to lean into and use against the Phoenix Suns. I mentioned the paint points they were able to dominate Atlanta with in our last show on uh, on Friday with Pat. That's got to be the formula here for the Milwaukee Bucks. But first off and foremost, will Giannis Antetokounmpo be available? He's doubtful for game one. I expected that. I would be kind of shocked to see him in the first two games. Maybe you get him coming back Willis Reed style in game three at home, Milwaukee. He's fully healthy at that point. And that's my thing here. I don't want to see Giannis Antetokounmpo uh, in a hobbled form. That's just not going to be a beneficial player for the Milwaukee Bucks. And it's going to inhibit the quality and entertainment factor of this series. I want to see them let Giannis get all the full Apparently, according to uh, Chris Haynes, he would have been given the green light for a game seven. And what that tells me is, when the put chips are starting to get put down on the table, the Bucks are going to be willing to put their MVP at risk in terms of 
getting him back on the floor. But you're taking a risk overall for your team if you put a guy like Ian Tedekumpo who doesn't shoot jump shots, isn't a Chris Middleton type of player where he can score at all three levels of the floor efficiently. He relies on that athleticism, rightly so. It's unworldly. It's nothing like we've ever seen in the NBA from a six foot ten, seven foot big man that can use his athleticism so well and so succinctly. So to me, I need to see a hundred percent or as close to a hundred percent Giannis on the floor if they're going to put him out there at all. If not, then I think the Bucks can be very competitive with the type of strategy and game plan they use, leaning on Middleton and Holiday in that opening round. So when Giannis is on the floor, though, how does that free throw percentage look? How are those free throws looking? Is he able to be a part of the offense in the five minutes of these games? I think that's going to be a crucial factor. The seventh worst single playoff free throw percentage in NBA history. That's what Giannis is posting right now. I'm not like, and it's it's a it's a small caveat in what has obviously been a dominant, historic, total total statistical output postseason from Giannis Antetokounmpo, but it's a huge factor in the final five minutes of these games, which are expected to be very tight. They went one and two against the Suns in the regular season. I believe all three games were decided by less than 10 points combined, including an overtime loss in that one as well. So these two teams very well equipped for one another, both top seven and top six in overall offensive and defensive efficiency. For people complaining and saying, oh, this is going to be an asterisk title. Oh, this title doesn't mean as much as the other ones. Fugazi, calling Fugazi on it all the way. The Suns, let's look at their, the Suns less so than the Bucks because obviously I think all of us and our mothers thought the Nets were going to roll through them. They would have rolled through them with a completely healthy team. But you look at the Suns, they were top 10 in statistical uh, offensive and defensive efficiency throughout the entire season. They ran through the Lakers as soon as AD went down, beat them in six, never let a series get to seven games throughout the entire playoff run. They, they swept the MVP in Nikola Jokic, the Denver Nuggets. They go out and dispatch the Clippers in six games who were just coming off of a 2-0 dominance against the Utah Jazz without their star in Kawhi Leonard. So I don't think this should be really taken down or knocked down a peg by anybody. Injuries happen every single year. Kevin Durant goes down against the Toronto Raptors and nobody is bringing up that title as a, as a total sham or anything like that. Everybody in, in Canada celebrated that one all the same. And the same with the Cleveland Cavaliers. 2016, Draymond Green throws a kick in LeBron James' balls, and boom, they get a title in Cleveland. So, like, little crazy stuff happens all the time, and I'm not going to hear it that this is, uh, is going to be any type of a sham uh, title. But for the Giannis Bucks to get that title, continuing on them having when they have the ball here, what happens when that wall attack begins for Giannis Antetokounmpo? Are they able to build it? I think they're going to be able to build it. The Suns are with how communicative they are on defense, with how in sync they are, with how well they play as a unit. They'll be able to build that wall. But can Giannis recognize the doubles and recognize the wall and be able to kick out to open shooters in a timely fashion? Now, speaking of those open shooters and speaking of Chris Middleton and the rest of this three-point attack as we kind of get off of the Bucks and how their path looks to uh, to being dominant on the offensive end when they have the ball. The Suns' ability to take away the three-point line. They are one of the best three-point defending teams in the NBA this year. Top five in three-point percentage defensively allowed. And this Bucks team, third worst three-point percentage by any team in the playoffs this year. 31%. Very uncharacteristic out of a Milwaukee team that I believe hovered around 36 to 37% 
as a team throughout the regular season. They went up to 38% in game six. It was a big reason they were able to come away victorious in that one. And obviously the Chris Middleton three ball was a big factor in that as well. He is the bellwether of this series, people. If Chris Middleton can come out and play lights out all three levels of the floor, I'm the $170 million man, then they're going to be just fine. This game, this series is going to seven and it's going to be a coin flip at the end. But if he is not that guy, if he reverts back to some of the Chris Middleton performances we've seen of old, it's going to be issues. Get this stat, people. Milwaukee's 12 wins this year. Middleton's is putting up a stat line of 26 points per game, 42% on three-point shots, and 48% on mid-range. In their five losses, just 17.2 points per game, 15% from downtown, and just 24% from the mid-range. And the mid-range is a perfect transition to when Phoenix has the ball here. But that's a huge factor for me. How does Middleton work? How does he have his mind ready to go for these finals? This is the legacy-defining moment, not only for Giannis Antetokounmpo, but I think for Chris Middleton and also to a lesser degree, Drew Holiday, because people aren't really, in my opinion, going to be blaming Drew Holiday if the Bucks go down in five or, or whimper out in six here, but they will throw their barbs and be looking at Chris Middleton either way. They'll give him the praise if he's able to average 25 and put up those same types of numbers that he's done in their wins, and he'll get the barbs. If they uh, if they come out, if he comes out with that same stat line of oh man, fifteen percent from three, that is just no wonder. Yeah, you're not going to win a lot of games, and your second best player shooting fifteen percent from three. Not a lot of people on Milwaukee Bucks in the situation. Although I'm not going to ruin that till we get to the uh, to get past this next lane number two here. When the Suns have the ball, what am I looking for when the Suns have the ball? Well. It's that Chris Paul, Devin Booker-led pick and roll, people, which has been deadly so far this year and has led to a lot of juicy mid-range opportunities for two of the best mid-range savants in the entire game housed on the same team in Paul and Booker. This season is the third best mid-range field goal shooting percentage season out of a single player in the last 25 years by one man named Chris Paul. 51.6% from the field. That trails just Kevin Durant's 2018-2019 season where he shot 55.1%. That's just stupid. He was that good for mid-range in the Warriors' uh, eventual loss, like I mentioned, to the Raptors in the NBA Finals. And then Dirk, baby, that magical get-the-hell-out-of-here Heatles season by Dirk Nowitzki, 52.9%, 2010-2011. He was a maestro from the mid-range and obviously – He's got like there's a reason he's got his silhouette of his jump shot put on the mid-range uh, marker where he used to take the most uh, most of his favorite shots down there in American Airlines Arena at the Dallas Mavericks facility. So just goes to show you, if you have a strong mid-range player, the strongest mid-range player up there the past 25 years, you're going to be able to do a lot of damage in these playoffs. And speaking of strong mid-range, Devin Booker is just as good. He is right up there in terms of top five. Uh, uh, mid-range scoring this season. He's hit 49% of his mid-rangers. That's sixth in the NBA in mid-range shooting percentage uh, and fifth in mid-range points per game from a single player. So how do they shut down the 17 to 20 points per game that the Suns are averaging this year from mid-range? And the Bucks using Brooke Lopez, using that length in the drop coverage, which I expect that they'll play, although they were switching a lot more at the end of that series, with the Atlanta Hawks, and 
that might be the, the strategy here. And that would be the strategy I would go with is not dropping Brook Lopez into the paint, not giving up those open mid-range jump shots. We know that they're going to be able to hit them. Devin Booker, 49%. Chris Ball, 51.6%. That's an efficient shot if you're making the mid-range at that type of clip. So I expect them to play a lot more switching, honestly. I'm, I'm going to check that. Don't expect them to drop as much, seeing how effective it was against the similar type of tr- pick-and-roll ball handler in Trey Young. They're going to switch more at the point of the attack. I expect to see Brooke Lopez higher up in the pick-and-roll, higher up in his coverage to be able to switch that action. And when that happens, can DeAndre Ayton's athleticism take advantage of it? Can he slip behind Lopez? Can he slip behind that back screener and be able to get to the rim and be able to finish off those lobs? That's obviously going to be a big, big question. How do they guard that Paul and Booker-led pick-and-roll when it's so, so efficient and you're able to make so many things happen off of it? You could, like Trey Young is the most efficient pick-and-roll ball handler in the NBA, and you could argue this two-man action pick-and-roll from the Suns is right up there in the top five in terms of options in this type of offense, which is just taking over the NBA over the past five years. Dante DiVincenzo, like I just mentioned, they're going to need a lot of Brooke Lopez on that floor. And the absence of Dante DiVincenzo just makes it that much more difficult for this team to switch uh, as efficiently as they were able to in the regular season. I know people will laugh at me and I have people laugh at me on Spotify Green and saying, oh, Dante DiVincenzo is so important. Well, he is. He's a very important piece, especially on defense when it just gives you so many more accessible bo- or one other accessible body and just another guy to add to that rotation. Without Giannis out there, it's basically going to be Bobby Portis, Pat Connaughton, Brooke Lopez, Drew Holiday, Chris Middleton, and Bryn Forbes. That's the six guys that they're basically going to be able to play in this rotation. Then maybe P.J. Tucker. So slot in Tucker or Forbes, kind of either or. Probably more. We're going to see more Tucker than Forbes. But like I said, like that's six, maybe seven guys that you can have in your rotation. And I know coaches in the finals, especially they do tighten up their rotations, but they like to keep it to between seven and eight guys, obviously, because you want to keep as many folks fresh as possible. So how much do they miss DiVincenzo in this switching scheme? And with that switching scheme being hampered a little bit with that absence, how much of an effect does DeAndre Ayton have in this series? He's been so good, so efficient, the most efficient opening playoff scoring field goal percentage mark of any player making their playoff debut in NBA history. He has been unbelievable in that sense. 83% people is what DeAndre Ayton is shooting at the rim. Brooke Lopez, Bobby Portis, Chris Middleton. It's going to be a team effort trying to make sure this guy doesn't destroy Uh, folks overall he's shooting 71% from the field that's the highest percentage in a single postseason ever let alone just your own uh, opening postseason and it's it's not like you can just force him away from the basket and he suddenly turns in the shack with a with a taking one three-pointer his entire career no Aiton has decent touch I've seen it firsthand my eyes have seen it and the stats don't lie to me here that little baby 10 foot 12 foot jumper is something that he is comfortable taking and he's hit it a decent clip outside of the restricted area. He has taken at least, he's one of 34 players to take at least 52 point shots outside of the restricted area. His 57% conversion rate people, that's third out of 34 players. So big underlying matchup issue for the Bucks is going to be DeAndre Ayton, especially 
if they're going to play that high switching scheme as opposed to the drop coverage that we've seen from them from them for so much of the playoffs that's going to allow deandre ayton to get a little bit more space especially on the interior so just like with the hawks and that trey young matchup there is a lot of pick your poison here for the milwaukee bucks who i'm sure will try to kind of speed things up control the pace of the game in this series get as many possessions as possible and force these slower kind of developing actions that the Phoenix Suns like to run in their offense to be as efficient as possible when they're uh, when they're having to slow it on their end and the Bucks are beating them as possessions and beating them in overall shots taken. That's going to be their game plan. And ultimately, people, I am picking the Bucks in seven here. I think Giannis Antetokounmpo comes back at the latest game three in that scenario. I'm envisioning a split. I do think the Bucs get a split here, even if they they do or don't have Giannis in the lineup for games one and two. And then when Giannis returns, if he returns, I'm assuming he's going to be right around 100% strength. They said no structural damage. They said he could have been good to go for a game seven. I, I'm guessing they're going to hold him out in game one because they're not quite sure if he's going to be a huge benefactor. They're not quite sure if they play him. Will he get knee soreness? Is it really worth it? Is it? It's not a... It's not a death blow to lose game one of the NBA finals. And that's why I think they rest him in game one. They keep him on the shelf one more time, maybe bring him back for game two. And then we're off to the races. I'm very excited for this series, people. This is a great matchup between two bona fide top five teams in the NBA this year, top seven at the least. And I just think they match up so well. There's so many different wrinkles. I just went through all of them. I spent 20 minutes breaking it all down. Man, I cannot wait. For this matchup tonight and Bucks and seven, Chris Middleton's gonna be your your finals MVP, people. If the Bucks win in seven games, it's probably gonna be because Chris Middleton puts up a stat line closer to 26 on 42% from three and 48% from the mid-range, rather than 17.2 on 16% from three and 24% from the mid-range. I think the second round pick brings his career full circle here dominates and the Bucks get it done in seven games, but I don't know. I don't know. We could very easily see the Suns win this one in six, Suns win this one in seven, especially with the home court advantage. And in that scenario, my buddy Seth, he uh, he's rolling with the Chris Paul MVP pick and the betting lines. I would recommend that one as well. If you think the Suns are going to win the series, I would avoid the juice because Giannis Antetokounmpo could come back at any time and really flip the odds in that scenario. I would lay the plus money on Chris Paul to win the NBA Finals MVP because he's going to have the ball a ton. He's going to put up decent stats. He will have to put up decent stats if the Suns win it all. He can't play bad, I don't think, and then win the whole title. And if he and Devin Booker both play really well or DeAndre Ayton somehow averages like 22 and 12 in this series, I think the deference will go to the 16-year vet playing uh, who's had, who has played the most games outside of uh not willis reed malik reed or whoever it was before coming into their first nba finals i could see it going down just like that so chris paul to win the mvp if you like the suns and then if you're with me bucks and seven baby bucks and seven you could probably get that at about plus 265 i would say plus three 350 is probably where bucks and seven is laying out right now and bucks to win the series overall is plus 175 and I do like Bucks plus a one and a half games, which means they will lose in six, or excuse me, they will lose in seven games or less. I like that one as well. 
uh, at minus 145. So that's the full NBA Finals preview. Cannot wait for action to tip off from Phoenix tonight on uh, on ABC. Going to be a very fun Finals. A new blood, new blood in the Finals. New champion for the first time and maybe ever and the first time uh, in uh, in 50 years for the Milwaukee Bucks. So a lot of fun to watch. A lot of great storylines to check out. Please, Giannis, please come back. Please give us fully healthy Giannis at some point in these finals so we can uh, kind of end the season. This rough, expanded, just not expanded, well, it, it ex- expedited season to a close. Let's bring it to a close. A guy who's trying to bring his rivalry to a close with one of the greatest UFC showmen of all time as we get into lane number three here and close out the show is Dustin Poirier. The trilogy fight, people. The Louisiana kid with his Louisiana hot sauce going back into the octagon with Mr. Uh, Mr. Soon-to-be billion-dollar man, Mr. Uh, Mr. Whiskey, Mr. Irish, Mr. Conor McGregor. What will the counter be for Conor McGregor and that nasty calf kick? That's the storyline here, people, is the counter from Conor McGregor. What has he done in the lab? What has he been doing in the uh, the warehouses of Dublin, Ireland over the past four or five months? What is going to be the strategy in terms of stance, in terms of aggressiveness, in terms of checking that god-awful, just brutal leg kick that Dustin Poirier was throwing and ultimately used to dispatch McGregor in their uh, last bout back in early January McGregor 22 and 5 overall. They're 1 and 1 against each other. Poirier is 27 and 6 overall. The winner of this one, likely, like I mentioned, going on to face Charles Oliveira for the lightweight title fight. Boxing stance or karate stance? Boxing stance or karate stance? If I'm Conor McGregor, we're not doing boxing. No boxing stances in this fight because that lead pressure on the front leg and uh, lead, putting all your weight on that front leg leg is ultimately what did McGregor in against Poirier when you're kicking versus throwing punches you're always going to win if you're the kicker i.e it's just physics legs are longer legs can whip faster than you can throw a punch and if your legs are longer and they're faster than the thing that's coming at you on the other side you're most likely going to connect before the other uh the other projectile hits you and that's just uh that's just simple physics right there and it's a simple physical battle that conor mcgregor did not adjust to in the later rounds of that fight his left leg was absolutely destroyed from dustin poirier throwing those calf kicks and the grappling as well dustin poirier had a great strategy he had a great game plan he knew exactly the spots he had to pick to get mcgregor on the ground suck his stamina down and leave him even more open and more susceptible to those lower leg calf kicks and ultimately uh, get him out of the fight there. And to me, the biggest thing for McGregor is flip the script on Poirier. Go with the karate stance. Lean more into the kicking game. Stay on your feet as much as possible. Get away from the cage. Not let Poirier use his strength on you up against the cage and kick the kicker. Bring the fight low bring the lower body fight to Dustin Poirier don't let him be the initiator in terms of the lower body kicking actions in this fight because if he like I said go starts throwing punches again and only leans on the upper body strength that he's used to knock out so many opponents before Dustin Poirier then it's going to be a big problem and to me thirdly as I look to uh to the rest of this week and kind of the 
the uh, the press conferences we're going to see in a couple of days and all that stuff. I don't like what I've seen out of Conor McGregor, to be honest. I haven't seen enough spice. I haven't seen enough vitriol. I haven't seen enough hate. I want to see Conor McGregor get back to the old McGregor, the guy that sits atop the cage and reigns supreme above his entire kingdom. He needs to own the cage. He needs to own the octagon, and he did not do that against Dustin Poirier. It doesn't really felt like he's done that in the last five years outside of the uh, the return fight against Cowboy Cerrone that was just a tune-up fight. Most people in the lightweight division, uh, everybody and their mothers fought Cowboy Cerrone. The guys logged, I think, the most cage time of anybody in the UFC. So that wasn't an impressive fight to me. And I just, I haven't seen it lately from Conor McGregor. I, I've seen Dustin Poirier progress. I've seen him go from emasculated, totally humiliated in 2014, watching that live as, what, 17 years old and figuring out that, man, like Conor McGregor is at the top of his powers. He is not only winning in the fight game, but in the mental game as well. I think that script is completely flipped here. I am picking Dustin Poirier on, uh, I think it's pretty pretty much a coin flip side right now. You see through them like minus 120, Conor McGregor's plus 120, something like that, or it's flipped. Either way, it's uh, it's basically a coin flip in the eyes of the uh, odds makers. And I'm going to go with the guy coming off of the most recent impressive performance. He's got the calm confidence. He's got the all things building right in his life right now. And I think Dustin Poirier comes back, wins the trilogy fight, and sticks a fork in Conor McGregor's career. It's done. It's done. You are no longer a showman. You are no longer pay-per-view box office material if Conor McGregor goes out and uh, falls to one and three since returning from uh, the break he took due to the Floyd Mayweather boxing match uh, he accepted back in 2017. So there's a lot of legacies on the line over the next week, people. A lot of legacies on the line in terms of the NBA to UFC. We got Deontay Wilder and Tyson Fury in boxing at the end of the month. Whoo, boy. I can't wait. I can't wait. It's been a lot of fun chopping it all up on the solo edition of Riding a 3 by 3 Like I mentioned, so many great storylines in that NBA Finals. I'm going with the Bucks in seven games, although I wouldn't be surprised to see Chris Paul walk off a three-point game winner in, in, uh, in that final seventh game. I would love that, honestly. I wouldn't care if I got my prediction wrong. That would just mean it was a great NBA Finals. And then I got McGregor. Stick a fork in him. The career ends and the spotlight ends this weekend. Dustin Poirier, the Louisiana legend, comes in and gets the job done once again. Goes to 2-1 and one against Conor McGregor and sets himself up for a lightweight title opportunity against Charles Oliveira. For everybody at Riding 3x3, Patrick Fetch will be back on Friday. I'm Russ Heltman wishing everybody a happy, healthy rest of the week. Enjoy the finals and enjoy UFC 264, everybody.